New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Osprey Oriel Lake. She's the author of Uprising for the Earth, Reconnecting Culture with Nature. Osprey, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Thank you for coming. You say in your book, restoration and living relationally can be accomplished once again by learning to fully embrace the places where we live, by coming to know the earth right around us and the history of the people of our regions. So can you say something about that, why it's important to fully embrace the places where we live? I think it's a very interesting time that we live in where... We're really at a, at a crossroads as a species and as a planet, and we're really looking at either moving towards more destruction or really changing how we're living on our beautiful mother planet. And I think a big key to this new way we need to live, which is actually an old way that many indigenous peoples have lived for a very long time, is really understanding the story and the narrative and relationship of places that we live. And again, it's both the bioregion itself, you know, where does our water come from? And maybe going for a walk to find out what your watershed looks like, to finding out where the food comes from, where you live, the energy. And learning about that also helps us take more responsibility and care for the place that we live. But it's also the story of the history of place, recognizing the First Nations people who lived here before us and how they lived and what their story is, both the tragedy of some of those stories and the beauty and giving of those stories. I think it's just very important to get situated in place and that when we're disconnected from where we live, then we also get disconnected inside. We also get disconnected from caring for the forests and the mountains and the wildlife because we don't know their stories. It's very hard to care for things that you don't know. So I think part of this new way of living to change the paradigm we're in is a lot about being at home in our place and really being knowledgeable and falling in love and enjoying where we live. Didn't I read where you at one point would notch the place on your deck where the sun set every day. Tell that story. I just thought that was just fantastic. And it has to do with knowing where we live. Absolutely. I was fascinated by studying a lot of cultures around the world and how, you know, whether it was even in ancient cities or in a tribal context in a village setting, there were so many ways that our ancestors actually lived within the calendar of the time that they lived in. So as an example, I was trying to emulate one way that there were calendar clocks situated in the city that were designed so that one person every day would stand in the same location and then look out to the horizon and have a marker where the sun set every single day. And of course, it's going to move as the season changes and our tilt towards the sun changes. And so I actually practiced that right outside my studio on our deck. And what really surprised me, I did it from the winter solstice to the summer solstice. And by the time 
I got to the summer solstice, I was actually off the deck because the arc is so extensive where the sun was actually setting by the time we got to summer that I was putting little pegs in the ground to keep up with it. And for me, it was an incredibly moving experience to understand not just, you know, the local bioregion that I live in, which is very exciting and important, but also the sense of being a part of time and space and our larger cosmos. And again, those you know, quote unquote, little exercises can be very profound in helping us to live in a more relational way. I think that our Buckminster Fuller, he's known as Bucky Fuller, would really appreciate that story because he was always one to be very careful about how we were orienting ourselves in the cosmos. You know, we say sunrise as if the sun actually is rising. It's not that. It's sunset that the earth is turning and then the sun is visible. You, in your young life, knew Bucky and were acquainted with him. Can you say something about those early years with Bucky? Yeah, I was very fortunate. My mother, who has since passed, was very close friends with Ruth Asawa in San Francisco. Who um, Ruth Asawa is an amazing artist. And she and Buckminster Fuller were very close because they had all gone to Black Mountain College together. And so on several occasions when our family went over to visit Ruth Asawa, Buckminster Fuller was there. And the thing that I remembered is uh, many things, but one was about this bee dance that he did for us, uh, literally moving around the living room, telling us a story about bees. And I was quite young, so I just was, you know, delighted and thought it was a wonderful thing that this grandfather type of person was telling us stories about bees. And he's flapping his arms yes, and, and dancing he, around. He was he's... moving about. And then years and years later, when I was going to school up in Portland, Oregon, he was at one of the local universities giving a talk and did the bee dance again. And it was, you know, him going around the stage bending in and out of imaginary giant flowers, explaining to us about what he calls in nature processional experiences, processional activities. And basically, in short, it's it's a wonderful concept in which, um, and it was also to teach us about living more ecologically balanced ways with nature. I mean, it's a very profound teaching that he offered, showing how when bees go from flower to flower to collect pollen, they're also pollinating. And just that way that there's this synergy in nature that we really need to think about emulating. So while the bee's going about doing its business, it's also doing good business for the flowering plants that need the bees to go around pollinating. They happen at the same time. And how many times in nature this is shown and how we as human beings can really think about, you know, what are we doing on a daily basis that, yes, benefits us, but also benefits the natural systems. And that reminds me that nature really shows us a model for how we can govern ourselves more synergistically. Can you say something about that? Yes, I think that when we look to the design of nature, we can really see that nature really works often in circles and spirals and interrelationships and ecosystems. We've all heard this before. Everything's connected to everything else. And I think that in a lot of our governance structures, we've really formed dominator models. Um, I really like the work of Rian Eisler and how she talks about dominator versus partnership models of society. And we've really built these pyramids where there's, um, you know, these main leaders at the top controlling people at the bottom. And that's not what nature's teaching us. That's not an ecosystem. I think there is a place for a pyramid structure 
in balance with a circle or spiral sort of relationship building and governance system. But right now we're seeing that these pyramid structures are simply out of balance and they're not good for the earth or for people. I mean, this is the whole Occupy Wall Street movement, you know, the 99%. We're looking at a pyramid where the 1% is the pyramid at the top and the 99% is at the bottom. So we're seeing in so many ways that these structures are not working. And when we look to nature, we're seeing systems that are operating in a much more balanced fashion where every component has an equal part or an important part that fits in and supports the other components. And I think this is important to understand. There are two things about the Occupy movement that I feel are significant. One is the deep listening that's going on because of the way that when a large group of people get together and they are not getting a variance to be able to have loudspeakers, somebody who's speaking from the center out to the radius. The people's mic. Yeah, the people's mic. People have to listen and then repeat, listen and repeat, and listen and repeat. And can you say something about the brilliance of this? Well, it is brilliant. And having this occur in these general assemblies, which also are allowing each and every person to have a voice or what we call direct democracy. I think it's bringing our democracy to the ground level again, which is where it needs to be with the people. And I think it's quite exciting. And the other part of it is that so much of it is done in circles, And this takes us back to the early days of the U.S. when we were developing our Constitution. So much of it was taken from the Iroquois Confederation and their way of doing councils. Uh, So much of it we didn't use to our detriment, I think. So can you say something about that? Yeah, I think it's part of our history that has been forgotten or purposefully written out is really an honoring of the Native American people and the Iroquois Confederacy, specifically around the forming of our Constitution. And it was really when the settlers first came here, it was a model of democracy that they had not seen. One of the reasons that this country was started is, you know, people leaving feudalism that had been, you know, the main governance structure in Europe and coming here to find freedom, to have land, to live their lives with religious and other types of freedoms. And the model that they saw was a very different structure here. And I think that many times it's important, we don't teach it in our you know public school system, but I think we really ought to remember how much the indigenous people here taught us a lot about how to live in a democratic structure in the way that they had organized their governance systems. And again, as you said, and I write in detail about my book, what was left out, which would have really helped us now at this point. But what we did learn from them, I think, is extremely valuable and needs to really be respected and honored. And one of the main things that they left out was the gender balance between men and women. Absolutely. Yes. And I go into a lot of detail in my book about that, how the uh, structures that the Indigenous people used here were very much in balance with female male leadership. And that was not something that was adopted. In your work with the Women's, what is it called? It's called the Women's Earth and Climate Caucus. 
you do teach and really encourage that women have a place at the decision-making tables of the world. Can you say something about your work in that way? Yes, we're finding through a lot of studies that it turns out that women are both the most negatively impacted by climate change, especially in developing countries, but they're also key to the solutions. So we're looking at how do we close that gap and lift up the voices of women farmers, women at the grassroots level, so that they can really participate in a lot of these climate change solutions and adaptation measures because they're the ones being impacted the most around water, food security, energy issues. So we're really looking to see how do we make sure that they're at the decision-making table because they're really at the core of the front lines of climate change right now. Are you optimistic about the future? I think that we need to be very practical and realistic. I think we're going to go through some pretty hard times I think that we've made decisions around climate and water and food that are going to come around now and we're going to need to deal with them. And I think that we need to be, you know, very clear that, you know, we're seeing huge weather extremes and we're going to see more of them. So I think we're in for a big, difficult ride. That said, I also have tremendous amounts of hope seeing people building resilient community and there's eco-cities, eco-builders, transition town movements. I mean, there's so much going on of people really taking responsibility and realizing that we need to move to a local level, find out, you know, where we're going to get our water and our food and how we can localize our economies. I mean, there's a tremendous movement that I think is very hopeful and also the young people standing up. So I have a lot of hope in what's being built and imagined and what people are investing in now. I think it's very exciting. And that said, you know, we do need to understand that we're going to be experiencing a lot of hardships in the United States and already in countries around the world. A lot of hardship is already becoming clear because of climate change. But it is true that big change cannot happen without some breakdown first. Yes, I think it's part of human nature. We seem to make some changes on our own, but a lot of changes seem to come when there's a crisis. And as we've all heard many times, the Chinese character for crisis is also opportunity. So I think there's an ancient wisdom in that. Thank you so much, Osprey, for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. I've been speaking with Osprey Ariel Lake. She's the author of Uprisings for the Earth. Reconnecting Culture with Nature. And if you'd like to be in touch with her, you can go to her website, ospreyoriolake.com. And she spells that osprey, like the bird, O-S-P-R-E-Y, Oriel, O-R-I-E-L-L-E, lake, L-A-K-E, dot com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. Thank you so much for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. And I encourage you, please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a 1,000 hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973. 
thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.